Hello everyone and welcome to the Failure Understanding Care and Kunst podcast. My name is James and I'm here with my colleague Ruth. And together we are the duo behind Failure Understanding Care and Kunst. In this episode we have an interview with Malin Lynn Nordstrom, a Swedish artist who was educated at the Tromso Academy of Art. We met up and interviewed her in Tromsø. We tried to meet her when we were both in Stockholm, but unfortunately we had a very brief overlap. And we realised we could just do the interview when she was in Tromsø, because in around four weeks' time she would be in Tromsø as part of the Open Out Festival, which is convenient because we live in Tromsø. So we speak about a lot of topics in this podcast. We talk a little bit about Malin's transition from being a psychologist to being an artist. We talk a little bit about her up-and-coming performance. And we, of course, talk about the main theme of this podcast, failure. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Alan, welcome. Hello. Thank you. So right now, for those listening, we are in uh, our apartment. So that's not our apartment. You and I, Malin, we, we we don't we don't live together. But I live with Ruth, and we live in this apartment, uh, and this is our home. So welcome to our home. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Uh, it is isn't it the excitement is palpable (laughs) yeah yeah we've done these conversations slash interviews in very very odd places some surreal places in fact so far this does not count as one of them my own being around my own dining table does not count as one of these very surreal places okay but now we've worked out exactly where we are uh, yeah. perhaps you could introduce yourself, Malin, and maybe give us a few words about your practice. So I'm an artist. My name is Malin Lynn Nordström. I'm from Sweden. And I used to live in Tromsø, and now I'm back here uh, for an exhibition uh, visiting, which is why I think it's exciting to be here in your home. Um, and it's very exciting to have you <laughs> in our home. Um, I work with uh, many different things. Sculpture, sound, video, installations, performance. Mm, yeah. So you're actually here because you're doing... A performance at Telegraph Book Two. Is that right, Malin? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and this is for Open Out Festival. Yes. 
that this is one of the reasons why we're speaking to you now in our apartment is because you're in the city. Uh, we obviously tried to meet in the summer and it wasn't possible, but it's very, very good that we can meet you here, that you're returning to Tromso uh, to do this project. And I will now bring up my questions. Um, can you maybe tell us all a little bit about, or a little bit more about your practice, like your engagements, what your interests are, and what you are, as they would say in Norwegian, optat, uh, busy with, as they say. Yeah, the last years, um, I would say that my work has been um, centered around uh, longing and desire, um, grief, different ways of exploring those emotions and yeah, sort of existential questions, I suppose, uh, in, different, in different ways. Mm. This uh, this performance that I'm here for now it's a um, like a underwater performance choreographed with performers who are uh, swimmers with different backgrounds, free divers and uh, uh, a synchronized swimmer and underwater rugby player and um, this work is about. Um, well, I'm I'm exploring something that has to do with longing for the sea and becoming one with the sea, or becoming one with something larger. Um, during the spring, I've been working a lot with wood sculptures, um, which were also a way for me to explore the feeling of longing for something difficult to articulate. That is why we use art, to articulate that which is difficult to say in words. Are these two connected then, these wooden sculptures and this performance that you're doing? There's a certain, there's a certain thematic connection to them, or maybe even a metaphysical connection. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I guess they're, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. they're connected, yeah. Mm. Although it might not be that apparent when you look at them, but it, mm, yeah, I think that my work the last years all come from some sort of feeling of longing or missing something. Yeah, I'm just thinking you uh, started off not as an artist, but uh, studying psychology and working as a psychologist. Does that inform your practice a lot? And particularly thinking about these existential questions, do you draw on that a lot? Or do you see them as being two distinct fields with little overlap? Um, I don't think I would say that it my, informs my practice, but rather that these are just things that I'm interested in and that I'm exploring through both psychology and art. Yeah. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. It's not necessarily something that you were 
you were longing for in your 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 when you were learning or or being a practicing uh, psychologist that this is not something for example as you explain it you did not come to art because you felt that this field or another field there was something that was that was lacking in this other field but rather it felt more of a natural progression and they were both maybe just things you were interested in and you wanted to develop your interests further in a way in art that transition from one field to another that it wasn't that there was something that was missing from your life in some way as a psychologist that you felt could be fulfilled are we talking about like the re what's the reason i got into art or yeah i think so but also there for example if you talk about your art being about longing right uh that this maybe there was not something when you were in psychology maybe this was something that could not be expressed that you needed another mode of i say i use the word expression uh, uh but yes to simplify the question maybe you could just answer the the slightly easier or the slightly more clear question put it like that i i find it uh super rewarding to work as a psychologist and i also think that it's it's great for me to have both both psychology and art i still work as a psychologist with therapy um and um i think that in a way both these practices explore similar things but uh in psychology i focus on other people and their thoughts and emotions and in art i focus on myself it's more introverted <laughs> practice um and what i also enjoy about art is that it it doesn't really have any uh restrictions uh in the same way as psychology does i mean i i have certain responsibilities uh, when i'm working as a clinical psychologist and there are rules and laws that i need to follow which makes sense you know an ethic like there are ethics that need to be followed uh, as an artist it doesn't be like i don't have to do anything that is or, like what i'm doing doesn't have to be scientific for example or based in scientific research um and i really enjoy that that it makes me feel free in what i'm doing free to explore i i, guess, I think that maybe that feeling of freedom is important to me and probably one of the reasons also that i'm not working with like a specific medium or so but uh working with so many different things yeah how did that how did you make the decision to i suppose retrain as an artist yeah that that's a good question i think that i didn't really know that it was possible to work as an artist it was more something that i fell into um because i don't come from a background where anyone was working as an artist. I come from a working class background. My dad, used, yeah, he worked as a mailman and my mom sold children's clothes. And, um, um, but I had this, um, 
idea when I was a teenager that I was um I wanted to go to art school for some reason. Um I never did because it seemed just like it's it's just it's not something that you do. Like it's not a career cho choice. Um so I studied psychology and <laughs> got a real job. <laughs> um but then um there was this time in my life when everything was really difficult and I um I was on sick leave because I was burnt out and um um I tried working a little bit with different or like I did different things to sort of come back from that. And and maybe a year later I was um um I was thinking of going back to working as a psychologist but felt like I wasn't really ready for it yet so then I wanted to do something that was sort of just for myself so I wanted to just take a year of art school and during that year there was I don't, I don't know what there was something I had been really indecisive about my work life for a long time um but I think that during that year it was like something I felt like something just fell into place, so I decided to like yeah, apply for a bachelor's and uh, a bachelor's program, and yeah, then uh, <laughs> five years later, <laughs> I've now studied a lot of art. <laughs> I mean, what do you find as the biggest? challenges with that transition are the biggest challenges financial or are the biggest challenges something that might be a little bit more surprising now that you are working as an artist i think one of the biggest challenges has been tr just trying to do something that i really wanted to do that felt important to me and I was afraid to fail or like not being able to accomplish what I wanted or even like I don't know if I was like it's it wasn't maybe I don't know if it's been that clear what that thing would be that I wanted to accomplish but maybe just being able to make art or work as an artist or something like that you mentioned the trigger word which <laughs> is fail because of course, what we're or one of the things that we're really interested in in this, <sighs> yeah, Ruth is normally much more of a pro. She normally leaves the room when she needs to cough when we're doing this, or she has during the last uh she's had a bad cold the last few weeks. So it's been, yeah, very nice. You're but, safe. Yeah, but obviously one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to talk a little bit about uh, failure and what that means to different people and how it manifests and what's at stake when one thinks in terms of success and failure, for example. Yeah, originally it was quite important that we included failure in the the thematics of fuck more broadly. Like, A, for us to make it a, a 
not an anagram is it an anagram acronym thank you uh that spelled out fuck you had to have we had to have a f word and why why not <laughs> um the entire project started because of uh we had a caravan and we made a, a really bad joke <laughs> Uh, no, we started, failure felt like a, an important word to include because we were thinking about the need for a change in attitude about failure within artistic practice. And maybe more broadly, that is more hand in hand with the idea of risk taking, that is not throwing out, uh, uh, it's, it's not about playing it safe and it's allowing people to, to fail and, in failing explore new avenues of practice and new avenues of thought um that would allow us yeah a more exciting and more diverse art practice but also a, a, a possibility to find new different solutions to the climate crisis or the crises of our time um, and how to approach life and building society so very grandiose aims, <laughs> but we felt it was quite a, an interesting word. Um, and as we've been going through the project, it's been uh, provocative to different people in different ways. I think some people have a very philosophical approach, but some people find it a really uh, deeply sensitive or provoking word, um, which is why we're interested in exploring a little bit what it means to different people and how they approach it in their personal lives and uh artistic practice uh yeah so i'm just wondering do you like what does failure mean to you or do you have a working definition of failure oh i think that failure can mean so many different things in different contexts but yeah i mentioned failure before when i was talking about trying to become an artist and I guess it was because of you also mentioned risk-taking and I think that there's definitely a connection there somehow I felt like I was taking a big risk when I um, left this um, plan that I had or this um, I mean, it is a big uh, sort of commitment and investment when you study to become a psychologist. You study five years and you have to work another year to get your license. And I had also worked a few years. And um, it's sort of like you have this plan for your life and then you... And when you start thinking that maybe I should do something else, it's kind of a big step to do that. So, yeah, I felt like I was risking a lot. Is you say a lot and that's uh, maybe financial but also maybe how other people might judge you or what 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 were the things you felt that you were maybe going to be risking i don't think it was that clear to me but when i think about it now i think that i mean in a way what you work with becomes a part of your identity um and because of that, it becomes even bigger to sort of leave that. Um, and I wasn't sure if I was going to come back to it or not, or not, or like, I didn't feel like I was leaving it forever, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be like later on. Um, and I think that 
there was also just this sense that I didn't know if I was able to do anything else or like if I had the skills or capacity or you know, like this is, I haven't, I've never done anything else. So I think that was scary to just like put something aside that you feel like you have at least some sort of clue or like you have an education and uh, try to do something else. And I think also like in a phase of my life where I guess there were other expectations, um, both from me and from others. Um, yeah. And I felt, I mean, I think that was also hard with, um, when I started to study art that I felt like I was sort of starting over, like mm. rewinding my life in a way. Um, I was the oldest in my class when I started the bachelor's. <laughs> What expectations did you think others had of you? What do you mean by those expectations? I guess like just like societal expectations of what what things are supposed to happen at a certain age. Like there's this you have this time between twenty and thirty where you're supposed to explore things and then from thirty onwards you're supposed to more, you know, settle you're down. You're supposed and, to have decided. And um how do you say that? Uh, the thing you do in, in the autumn, where when you ha you're supposed to harvest the fruits of your yeah, efforts. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. How, how old were you when you started on your BA? I was 33, yeah. Okay. That would be about, was that about the age I when I moved to? To, to Norway so maybe we both did life changing things when we were 33 also how old Jesus was when he died <laughs> yeah <laughs> there, was a, there was that famous exhibition maybe 10 years ago called uh, what was it called uh, Younger Than Jesus and it was about artists who are under the age of 33 it was in a big New York uh, a big New York gallery Remember it just being very, very strange. It's a strange marker in one's life. Mm. Have you outlived Jesus? <laughs> really, that's yeah. the marker of failure yeah. success. Yeah. And, uh, probably we're all doing quite well. Probably the most <laughs> consequential man in, in the history of humanity. I have uh, to say, it doesn't feel so radical to have this exhibition with young people. I'm waiting for the exhibition with people who outlived Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yes, they uh, they executed all the artists at the end, which is exactly, <laughs> yeah. What one should do with young people. Yeah, I hope they did at least. What is know. age is it that they kill people in... Um, in Logan's Run? Yeah, is, Logan's is it, Run. Is it, is it no, uh, it's 30. It's 30. Or is it 33? I can't remember. I can't remember. I think it is 30. It's an age I got to because I remember you. I think it's 30, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's the yeah. age of Jesus. Yeah. Just nice to kill people yeah. after 30. How was the art school experience? Like, did you feel, did people, did people look, you know what I mean? Did they look up to you as, the, as, as uh, I don't know, an older, wiser voice, do you think? Or do you think they even recognized it? Because I had no idea that you were... You're in fact even you're older than me, I think. And like I, when I met you, I had like no idea, you know. Like I don't think you. Yeah, yeah. Term. I mean, your moisture, your moisturizing <laughs> regime is. 
not. On your moisturizing <laughs> regime. Uh, I mean, you look very youthful, Malin. I mean, I did, I would have that on. I would have that on record. I mean, no, but I'll I will say this. Like, I don't think that it wasn't so much about age. It was more about like being in different a different phase of your life, perhaps. Um, when you're maybe looking for other answers to things or longing for other, I don't know, things in your life. Uh, but I think that something that was clear to me was that when I started, because there was, I felt like there was so much at stake that I decided pretty early on to, that I was going to like do everything I could and like work as hard as I could to make things happen, whatever that means. But, you know, just, I wanted to, like, um, I made this decision that I was going to give myself those three years to give this a shot and see. And then, like, yeah, and during that time, I didn't have to sort of um, think about it so much, just do it the best I could and then evaluate at the end of that period. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, or in terms of you think, okay, I'm risking a lot, would then therefore you saw a potential route to failure and a potential route to success once you know you're finished with your art experience, art school experience? What would have been how would you have defined failure and how would you define success in that in that constellation or do you think that that's still too vague to talk about in terms of that binary or do you even think it is a binder binary? yeah exactly yeah i don't think i was thinking about it in that way you know i think it was more just this feeling or like a fear um some sort of fear that wasn't that clearly articulated um yeah but w when it comes to like a failure in my art practice somehow i i think that i maybe i just wanted to be able to work as an artist like that was the thing like not not having any like particular success or anything whatever that means but like just be able to make art or yeah I don't know I think I was yeah I think I was afraid that uh, it would be like I had this time in, time in my life when I studied art and then I went back to something else and that would just be like this parenthesis in my life like a strange midlife crisis or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but maybe that does bring us on to maybe talking a little bit more about maybe more specific projects or uh, certain art projects. So actually, I, I when I was thinking a little bit about this, um, talking to you about this today, uh, I was thinking that I don't think I use the word failure so much when I think about things. Um, but I'm sure it's there somehow at some level I'm, I'm sure I'm like I have some sort of fear of failure yeah, probably most people do at some level but um, I don't think I 
like explicitly think of, for example, in my work, I don't think that I think of things as this was a failure. Um, I think that it, if I took a risk, I'm usually happy with it, with it. And that I feel like mostly uh, the work is not so much about results, but, but more about exploring something. Um, trying to figure something out. And I think, like, in my mind, I feel like what I want to do with art is try to express something as accurately as I can and that I'm still learning how to do that. Um, and in that way, I guess I feel like everything I do in a way is a failure or sometimes I'm lucky and I manage to do something that feels all right. But, um, but mostly I, I don't really live up to my own expectations or standards, but I don't feel like, I still don't feel like it's a failure because I feel like it's just part of learning something or, um, refining something or, yeah. Do you think that's a process that ever gets finished, like through an artist's career, or if it's just an ongoing process towards something, but never quite a... Yeah, I mean, I hope not. I hope it's not going to be finished, because then what am I supposed to do then? <laughs> well, I think I think there's always that thing where you're an artist and you found the thing that you do. Like if you're a painter, like, uh, I don't know, Sean Scully or something you make this you make paintings of squares or if you're Piet Mondrian you're I don't know that boundary of what you do becomes so thin and so small like if you're Piet Mondrian or something like that doing his you know famous uh, works your 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 experimentation or your process of what's a success or a failure I don't know how like some artists look at their work and go oh that's that that oh, that one doesn't work or that one works. Like if you're Piet Mondrian and you're looking at your work, uh, uh, like a Piet Mondrian, do you go, oh, that's much better than that one? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Is that no? Yeah, but probably, yeah, like you're saying, I feel like if he hits the nail on the head, then he would have stopped. There would only be one square <laughs> geometrical primary I mean, color. Everybody's got bills to pay, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's true. But do you not think that, yeah, particularly if you've uh, already hit success, you would, uh, you would do something yeah. else? I mean, I suppose, or maybe that's, uh, I suppose the temptation is once you've a very uncynical view. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe, maybe this is, this happens for, for, for you as well, but it feels, or I've heard a lot of stories about how artists, maybe the experimentation and what they do in the studio goes very, very fast, meaning that they, they, have lots of ideas that are, as you say in English, on the back burner. But because they, you know, because of the, the mark, a market, they have a market for their, uh, you know, for that thing that they are known to do, for example, their signature style. It's maybe they have to hold it back. Or if they're working on projects, for example, they've, they're, they've got a project that's really successful that's touring, for example, like a performance artist or something, you're touring a lot. So you've maybe... You have lots of things that you've you've done that you're wanting to explore, but you're having to concentrate on this other, these other projects that you have on the go. 
I don't have that problem. No, okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Constantly touring your hits, <laughs> commercially yeah, yeah. successful. Have you, yeah, yeah. Have you have you have you done an artwork, or do you maybe want to talk about an artwork where you think that, like maybe there were failures in there, but there were, but it was a, it was valuable, still, if that makes sense, or or it was maybe informative to your practice. So the project I've been working on the last year with these wood sculptures um the title of that has is uh, futile endeavors which is funny it's also what i called i when i first moved to tromsø i uh when i organized things like shows or stuff by myself i also called that like the i also called that futile endeavors um but there's no there's no direct connection or maybe it bookends your uh, it's the start and beginning of the first phase of your artistic journey i don't know but it seems like somehow i've had this idea about how you can make things and they are in some way a failure but there's still some sort of purpose to making them and showing them um and in this um work with these wood sculptures i think that it's actually a big part of that work in overall that um that is it's about trying to express this longing or desire but also knowing that it's impossible to express it or articulate it so the work with these sculptures is a work that will never succeed in a way and that's part of that work that's that's really interesting. Can you expand on that a little bit? The idea of something that can never can never succeed. It's a very optimistic worldview. I think futile endeavors in my brain. I don't necessarily associate it with. Uh, maybe there's a part of me that still has a very like pessimistic idea to, or like fatalistic idea about. Uh, something yeah the, the futility of the world and doing these constantly you know like a yeah the, the sisyphean futility uh but this is like a very optimistic take on it it feels or like you know like the albert Kami essay about sisyphus which is actually like a it depends on i guess who you read but a, i would say a very optimistic take on the sisyphean myth myth He's saying uh, that ultimate. It's been a really long time since I've read this. I might need to put a footnote in and like fact check myself. But if I remember, he's saying that uh, Sisyphus ultimately finds happiness in the the futile endeavor. Like he finds the uh, sort of meditativeness in doing the same thing every day and uh, discovering joy in being in the present. I think. I mean, aren't that really what we're doing every day? Yes. <laughs> Just living our lives until we die. <laughs> but that could be an incredibly, or at least for me, was definitely a very depressing thought <laughs> 10 years ago, but I, I think it's also maybe a very optimistic thought for me now. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember that like when I presented this project and the title of it, that there has been some voices that like have been very skeptical or uh, questioning the like 
or saying things like, but why is it futile? It's not futile because there, there are sculptures in the end or things like that. And I'm like, no, but it's not about, it's not like that. It's like something can be futile and beautiful at the same time. Or <laughs> 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 that it's, that it's, it can be something beautiful that you are doing this thing over and over, even though you know that it's never going to result in the thing you want it to result in. And the, and these are the, the tree sculptures that you're speaking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are like a series of like different pieces of wood that you have like found and then bound together with like bits of metal or... Like yes, yes, together. exactly. Yeah, it's mo yeah, so these wood sculptures are based mostly on like dead wood that I found in different forests and collected and uh, worked on in different ways and combined them and um, yeah, different shapes. And you feel, did you ever get to the point when you were making this series called Futile Endeavors that you went, oh no, this is brilliant. This is, uh, this is exactly what everything I wanted to say. This one has to be uh, like Picasso when he did his really famous Le Mademoiselle d'Avignon. He said it was, uh, I can't remember exactly, uh, but he thought it was like too terrifying to show to anybody. So he had to hide it in his studio for three years before he could show it to anyone. Or that's the myth around the painting. Do you think this could happen in your series of, of uh, sculptures that you make one that isn't futile? That actually says everything you want. <laughs> that actually says the thing that you want, and you have to hide it. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Actually, <laughs> but you know, I think that to me, it's kind of the same feeling you have when you're watching a sunset, and like it's so beautiful, and it's not like you're you watch it and you think this is the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. It's perfect. Now I'm gonna go home because I'm done. <laughs> it's like you you watch a sunset and you have this sensation that you want to just keep watching it until the sun goes down or, and it doesn't, I don't know. It's, yeah. How do you choose which mediums to work in? Because you work across quite a lot. Um, I mean, from like video installation, obviously the series with wood, you're obviously working on, I suppose, a, <laughs> choreography or dance or so i don't know what you would call that public art maybe even uh that you're working on now um uh and then obviously uh, i remember you did something on the uh the sauna on the boat as well this sort of insulation slash well i don't know how you would describe that um so like how do you how does that process for you work like in terms of do how do those ideas come to you basically is the question and how does the idea become the thing i don't think there's one process you can look in look like um sometimes it starts with a a place a location or a specific i mean it can, it can also be a specific exhibition or show or context um Usually, actually, it starts with some sort of deadline. <laughs> um, but you said it maybe starts with a place. That's quite interesting. Yeah, I think that there's, yeah, maybe there's usually a combination of a place and an idea about something, some sort of topic or thematic. 
that I want to explore? I'm really bad at answering this question. You, but those futile endeavor sculptures were, oh, I'm were they exhibited? Do you exhibit them in a library, or you exhibited them in something that wasn't necessarily a a, a white cube gallery? Have I made this up? Yeah, I've shown those in several different yeah, places. Yeah. Mm. yeah, including a library. Yeah. Oh, I was right. I do remember things. Yeah, yeah. And do you think there was a more successful? Like, what, to what extent did the context that these were exhibited in, to what extent did they change the work? And did you feel that the sculptures had a better relationship to a certain environment or another? <coughs> when I made these sculptures, I first made them to show them in like a conventional gallery setting, white cube setting, which was... I mean, it's not that common for me, actually, to work with that type of space. But I um, also wanted to explore that and really try to embrace that. So I actually also made this white podium for the show, actually, which was fun. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, a big white podium, more like a table. Um and when I was going to show the sculptures in the library, there was, there was also in a way a new experience for me because usually if I work from uh, starting from a place or some, a site, then I make something specifically for that place. But now I had this these sculptures that I had already made and I had this place that I still wanted to somehow respond to. So I had to find some way to combine them and um, yeah that was actually one of the one of the times when I was worried that I was going to fail <laughs> because I had very little time to do this uh, to actually like do proper research and uh, think about it and yeah just I had very little time to work on this um yeah, we spoke about success earlier, and I actually got pretty good feedback on that show in the end. But I didn't feel like I had invested anything, or like I did take some sort of risk because I, I think because I had tried to use the books in the library and included them in my sculptures, and I was a bit nervous about that. But at the same time, I didn't feel so invested in this particular show, or like I didn't put enough work into it or I wasn't that I didn't feel like I was so present somehow in this show um, so when I so afterwards when I got th these like positive reviews and feedback I felt really distanced from it mm. um, you felt distant distant from it meaning that you felt you did not deserve the i don't have ownership over that yeah not like i didn't deserve it but more like it didn't really i, I think i realized it didn't really matter so much what others thought <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that it was more about how it felt for me yeah. mm. that success was about your engagement the success 
if there was a success, wasn't about, I suppose, what would say the the validation of others. It was it was something more about how it how that work fitted into your practice or or something like that. Yeah, did I like manage to really go into this and make the most of it, or like try to explore or expand something, take some sort of risk, learn something, move something forward in in within myself, my practice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned like not having enough time. And I'm just wondering about like the relationship between failure and I mean we're talking about the art art and art industry, but I guess it like can apply to other fields and disciplines as well. But just that tension between never having enough time or this this structure within which the industry uh or which we are operating in and which the industry is operating in that feels like there's never enough time. If that, yeah, if, if it limits risk or capacity to fail or it doesn't allow room for failure or makes failure uh, more likely because yeah. you don't have enough time to. Yeah. Or, or uh, maybe to, as a counterpoint, maybe you feel the opposite and that it's really good to have, you said most work, to you comes from the fact that there's a deadline like it's actually really motivating uh that you don't have any time i think that one of the things that i am starting to think might be true is that maybe there's not such a clear relationship between time and results uh that yeah i mean there are definitely times that i make something super fast and then I think that it turns out well and um, and other times when <laughs> there's the opposite uh, situation. Um, I think that now I just finished my master's in June and I think that now when I've been thinking about what to do uh, moving forward, one of the things is to try to find some sort of balance in like how to organize my, <laughs> uh, my work and my time. And, um, I mean, I think that like one of the reasons that it might feel like there's a lack of time to work is that you're always underpaid, right? So you, mm. like you always have to have some other work and you don't have enough time to work on your art. Or like you can't afford it. Mm. Mm. But it can also be that, like, I think that sometimes I just say yes to too many things. Mm. I try to sort of, yeah, do too many things at the same time. And I think that I would like to try maybe doing one thing at the time and having it like, um, planning a show that is happening in like a year and a half or something to try to have different types of timelines and mm. um, more time to think less time to produce you say no or how do you uh... there's so many things that we want to do 
or like uh my daughter and I have a similar problem of always wanting to do more much more than I'm capable of or I have time for but do you also have so many um I don't know so many ideas and how many how do you choose between them yeah I think that it's so difficult to say no also because that is also taking a risk um and that again I'm I'm afraid to fail as an artist and like not failing as an artist is probably that you have you're having a lot of shows and engagements and projects and like there's a lot happening all the time that's like if you're working all the time then it must be that you're not a fail failure do i mean do you think you're a risk averse person or do you think you're somebody that actually dives headlong into risk or do you think it's too simple a binary to describe yourself as a risk avoider or a risk taker probably both i probably do some things that might seem risky to other people <laughs> but maybe they're within my comfort zone i like the idea of uh, going back to the start of the podcast when you said it was maybe a risk to become an artist or like a risk to make art or something like that i mean obviously that's uh, a slight um there's a slight exaggeration there in what i'm saying because it obviously wasn't just that uh, consideration but it is there is something about for example uh, when we're talking about churning out uh, like works like okay you're busy all the time blah 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 that there must be something within yourself like a kind of professional pride or something like that that if you are churning out works like i mean it's really it feels really bad to make bad artwork i don't know i mean i think that's a danger when you're talking about doing all those things and what ideas to pursue that yeah, it feels really bad to make bad artwork. One feels really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or like, do you think you sort of set yourself up for failure as well? Because you don't have the time or the capacity or, you, you know, that energy to put into the development process or the thinking process or the production. Like, just everything is truncated. So you, I think you do make, not always, like you say, I think there, you know, some some things can take a really short amount of time, but they still take a lot of energy and there's been a process maybe going on in the background to make that thing function. So that I, I think that process of uh, hyper production often, but not necessarily, but like it can lead to failure because I think you're not operating uh, uh, you're not operating at your 100%. You're not giving the project necessarily what they need. Maybe. But maybe I'm also just speaking from a position of like thinking about burnout. That that leads to uh, just bad decision making. Like you're just not a sharp human when your brain is exhausted. And anxious and overworked <laughs> then there's the question of do you have to always give everything 100 percent mm. no yeah i think it depends because i think i've got a very like open idea of mediocrity being quite a good thing <laughs> in the world <laughs> or like being okay happy with uh mediocrity 
Uh, and like, yeah, maybe having a focus on process. But I still think if you're attending to too many things, you're, yeah, maybe I'm talking about two different things, actually. I think splintered attention or sort of being caught up in a cycle that's out with your control and therefore not being able to attend where you want to or where you need to because of external forces and um, being splintered because of excitement, maybe. Maybe it's something to do with like energy giving and energy taking. Like, I think you can be incredibly busy, but things are energy giving. Maybe yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's no, no, no. I think that's a really good point. I mean, maybe Malin felt mm. something similar when she was, say, for example, in Tromso, that maybe it's a place that can demand a lot of you. Somebody said to me in a place in a small city like Tromso that you feel important, not necessarily because, you know, you are important, but you're important to the art scene because not because you're, you know, of your brilliant artistic uh, talents or the art you make necessarily, but because you're an extra pair of hands that can help, uh, you know, mounting. Body. Yeah, yeah, you can help. You're, you're like, okay, you're the guy that can do that thing for this thing I have in two weeks. You're the guy that can do the sound. You're the, f the photo editing guy. Oh, you also do this as well. Great. Well, we need somebody actually for that because there's such a small pool. So it can feel in many ways that one feels very, very important, or maybe you felt this, you can feel very, very important because you're involved in a lot of things. But at the same point in time, it can also be quite energy taking because you're being asked to do a lot of things in a small city. Uh, and maybe this contrasts quite well with uh, Stockholm, for example, where you maybe feel there's a lot of people and a lot of energy to, to draw upon that inspires you, for example. Yeah, I'm definitely not needed in Stockholm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a huge surplus of artists <laughs> making things there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I actually find do find it a bit more meaningful to make art in other places than in those big cities that have so many artists making work there. When you do your performance, for example, on Sunday, it will be the, it will probably be the most exciting thing that almost definitely happens that day in Tromso, but it will also be, it's also one of those things, for example, where when we were doing, uh, so for example, the, the performance you did with us uh, last year, that's the, that's probably the most exciting thing that happened in Tromso that week, for example, you know, there is something about about the the scale of it as well that when you're in these these smaller places this this kind of stuff is more unusual maybe more meaningful as well yeah. Yeah. Mm. there's probably less people come to it and engage with it but it's mm. certainly out of the ordinary yeah no now i'm like i don't want to claim that it's more meaningful because yeah, yeah, maybe it's meaningful yeah. it's the same meaning yeah. but uh yeah i guess if there's a certain uh a surplus of things that maybe you can. I was thinking about something else. You mentioned mediocrity. And that made me remember um, my own thought processes when I was attending preparatory art school for a year in Gothenburg. 
um, when I had started thinking that maybe I should try to become an artist. I don't know how you become an artist, yeah. but that's what I wanted. It's a continual <laughs> process of becoming. It's delusian in that sense. Um, <laughs> and um, I remember thinking that I want to be a mediocre artist. <laughs> that was my goal. I was like, I'm going to set up this goal for myself. I don't, I don't have to be a great artist. I don't have to be famous, successful, rich, anything, because that's how, how I don't, I guess I didn't want to put that pressure on myself. So it's like, yeah. I'm going to become a mediocre artist. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> I think it's such a valuable goal. <laughs> but then it means if you do become famous or rich, have you failed? Are you actually yeah. a failure? <laughs> if you also become a terrible artist, you've also, you've, you've definitely failed. But if you become a really successful one, you've also failed. So it's very difficult. Yeah. It's quite, quite the challenge you've given to yourself. <laughs> but I think a really great goal. I think, uh, I definitely do think we have, a uh, we're down on mediocrity. I think it's very important. And it's the middle, like most people make up mediocrity. So why? Yeah. Uh, and even, and even, <laughs> and it's always very strange when you, and even if you're a so-called brilliant artist or, or, or like a like a well-known or famous artist, I mean, you're turning out a lot of crap still. You know what I mean? You're turning out a lot of crap. And I, I mean, I'm thinking of anything made by David Hockney in the last 10 years has mostly been rubbish, right? Um, and even the stuff that Damien Hurst, for example, maybe the most uh, has been making, I mean, I think everything he's made for the past 20 years is universally understood to be rubbish. So I don't know if they operate in the realm, maybe once you surpass success, it, you're incapable, or I don't know. I don't think they're incapable of being mediocre, but I wouldn't say they're good examples of mediocrity. Maybe at least Damien Hurst, because of his works, it's not that they're mediocre, they operate in a different, they've got different intentions. Their intention is to be economically successful. Like there's a, a deep cynicism to them. Uh, so if you're wanting to, yeah, I would say they fail on, I don't think they're good. They fail artworks. on they're the platonic, they fail uh, <laughs> as uh, on the uh, set up against the categorical imperative that artists should make good art or they fail on like a platonic ideal of an artwork they They're fail on a very spin. meta they, f they, f they fail on a very sort of like spiritual level yes i think that's very good yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah i would say if if you're going for like a re reclamation of of mediocrity as a term i would not want damien's damien's <laughs> in that category uh,
first one I was going to ask is if you uh, if you've if you can if if an artwork you've done if you could say it's failed could you say that definitively about any artwork you've done or any aspects where you've noticed there've been failures as part of the process so when i try to scan my past in my mind i remember definitely this one artwork that i made i think it was last summer that was i haven't put it on my website or in my portfolio <laughs> it's it's um it's disappeared <laughs> <laughs> But the thing is, um, it was for an exhibition. I, I said yes, <laughs> like you do. And I only had like a couple of weeks to make something. And I didn't have anything that I had already made that I wanted to show. Uh, so I I said yes to it thinking, okay, I will take this as an opportunity to make something new and try something that I haven't tried before. So I made this textile work uh, because I wanted to explore something. and. I mean, I really don't like it. <laughs> Is, has it has it uh, has it went through the floor of mediocrity and into the the floor of I don't know terrible? Like, is it beyond mediocre and just really bad, or has it got to the point know. where it's terrible? It's always quite I think it's probably it closer terrible. to terrible, but to be honest, I don't know yet because I don't think it's, I think I have to wait a couple of years to see what it's, what it actually is, but it's very confusing to me. It's a mystery. Mm. Do you think it's because you're working with the material that you weren't, or like a, a media uh, medium that you weren't comfortable and, in? And, or? and first, can I ask, uh, what was it you actually made? <laughs> or what was it you were trying to make? I should ask. <laughs> Um, uh, so as you might know, I've been working a lot with these sort of textile installations that I use for video projections. Uh, and I think that I wanted to make some sort of development of that. So I wanted to make some sort of like, um, yeah, some sort of textile installations that I, textile installation that I could also possibly use for video projections but without the video video projections and instead like wor working a bit more on the fabric part of it um and yeah i think that it was definitely in part because i don't usually work with that medium and with that material um and i also think i didn't really know what i wanted to achieve or Yeah, I don't know. I remember also like my my friends who came by the, the studio space to have a look. They were all like, they didn't want to say anything, <laughs> but <laughs> you can see it on their face still, like in their eyes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great interview with... Uh, you might appreciate this, man. There's a great interview with James Murphy of LCD Sound System. Uh, before, uh, you know, before he was famous, they obviously the first big hit was something called uh, "I'm Losing My Edge," and it's quite an unusual song in many ways. And he he played it to all his friends, uh, 
just to get their feedback on it. And he knew they all hated it uh, because they kept on asking really like dry technical questions, like how did you get the how did you get the kick drum sound? And like, what, what did you use a multiband compressor on the snare? So he was like, oh, they they hate it because they're asking these questions, you know. So I don't know what's worse if people just come in and react to an artwork in silence, or if they start asking, if they try and pretend to take it seriously and start asking you questions like, you know, what how what is the weight of the fabric? That? How's how's the what is the weight of the fa- how are you suspending it from the ceiling? You know, yeah. like those kind of you know, I don't know That's what so is worse. True. Yeah. <laughs> What do you think failed about it? I mean, in a way, I'm not sure if it is a failure because I wanted to just try to do something I hadn't done before. And I did do that. Of course, I mean, it would have been nice if it had also turned out uh, <laughs> nicely or like some, yeah, if it had, if the results were something that I also liked. But, hmm. I think that I didn't really have my <laughs> heart and soul in it. <laughs> or, um, yeah, it was. I feel feel like I was ma- just making something with my hands and my eyes, and not with my heart. <laughs> 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 my spirit wasn't involved. Yeah. It was mechanical. You were, yeah. I I understand and appreciate. Yeah, but I think that actually does just come back to risk, right? And it's not necessarily that there has to be something societally at risk, but I think there has to be something personally at risk in making artwork maybe like you like it's risky to uh to put one's uh, you mean that it's risky to put one's heart and soul into something or it's risky to show one's heart and soul risky to engage yourself maybe that that's the risk that you that that's what maybe makes like a functional or like a an interesting artwork you think we're uh it was at a big exhibition recently and a struggle to connect with a lot of the artworks just because it felt like there was absolutely nothing. Everything felt quite mechanical. It felt like there was no risk. Even the works that were, you know, quote unquote political, it felt like nothing had really been personally engaged. It's really interesting they say that because I think it also have, I have a problem with, like as an art audience, I have a problem with artworks that feel distanced or like it doesn't have to be of course like I was going to say that I prefer if it's personal but it doesn't have to be about the artist it just has to be yeah well, I don't know what is it about it I don't know I feel like it just has to be like an like the, yeah like a personal engagement like someone has put something but there's something at stake yeah, that there is something at stake. Yeah. Because I, I wonder, like, I think a lot about this exhibition, everything was very correct. Like, everything met, like, aesthetic ideals or trends and 
um, you know, thematics. Yeah, trendy theme, box ticked. Yeah. Um, I don't like know. Clean. Yeah, like nothing yeah. poking. Like your really eye. nice lighting, you know. Yeah. Really nice exhibition design, you know, all the sort of technical aspects of something are maybe well done is what you're yeah. meaning and the fabrication on the uh, on what you're seeing is there yeah yeah i think it is like without like yeah like lack of heart and yeah. i yeah i feel like we do have a yeah, yeah. like i do think it is a, a thing like uh there has to be some sort of something at stake for the artist in making work yeah yeah and i think as well when you're talking about the engagement of politics as well it can also be what's the best way to put it I mean, I'm even thinking about the, the, the in one of our last interviews, we were endlessly talking about Donna Haraway negatively. <laughs> I don't know what your feelings of Donna Haraway are, for example, the writer. But obviously there's a certain amount of cliche now because that set of, for want of a better word, politics or conceptual concerns are so dominant and there's such a trend that it's very difficult to see anything that mentions Donna Haraway in a text without it just immediately your heart sinking and just feeling that it's somebody trying to catch a trend as well. Yes. But I think it's more like it's something inherent within an artwork rather than necessarily just being in the, I think to go back to how you were talking earlier about what you think, how you approach art, that idea of, uh, uh, failure is an expected outcome whereas if you're embedded within the process uh, and you're interested and you're learning and you're you know taking a risk or you're ambitious um, I think that's what makes an interesting artwork as an audience as well it's not when they're perfect it's not when they're shiny or trendy or like they might actually be aesthetically like there might be something like dysfunctional in the artwork that doesn't quite work or but I think you experience or you see the process or the engagement an artist has had that has been meaningful uh, that there has been yeah something at stake in in grappling with something they've act, like actively been exploring something yeah. I suppose there's also something maybe a bit cringe about a lot of I suppose the danger of putting your heart and soul into it is that there is something a little bit cringy if you put your heart and soul into something. I'm thinking about all those, uh, like a Carol Schneeman performance or something like that, where you're like naked on stage and you're, now they're all very, you know, and now it's all cliche, right? All that edgy performance art from the, the 70s. There's a kind of, there's something definitely at stake there. Because it's very much related to like a, a kind of uh, like a feminist politics, but I kind of feel that like if you try to do that now, there's also something about it being a little bit like cringe or something like that. So I think artists are always a little bit are always very very self conscious. So it feels like you're maybe a little bit nervous to step out of line or say or do something that might be, you know, if you fly your freak flag you know and do something a little bit crazy that people might like they might not just judge the artwork they might judge you as well <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's very difficult to separate the two as are like from the artistic perspective even though i think it's important from the art perspective 
but I don't know that the I I don't think that's what I'm I mean that can that can be uh, uh, putting something at stake but there's a whole realm of putting something at stake that is not necessarily uh being incredibly outspoken or um you know it's not like I'm not talking about martyring yourself I'm just talking about people <clears throat> deeply engaging with their own work and giving something to the the process yeah i think that there are many things that might seem on the surface like look like risk taking but it can sometimes be more of a repetition of something i think uh, with this uh, the failed textile work that i made <laughs> And I mean, I was risking something, my reputation. <laughs> um, but I don't think I was risking what was important. It was more like a material experiment, I think. Yeah. What would failure be in psychology or for a psychologist, do you think? Hmm... I think there are many ways to fail as a psychologist. Uh, I only work with therapy now, therapy patients. Uh, I think I fail a little bit all the time. Um, just like we do in all, all our relationships that we're just, you know, inadequate in many ways. Luckily, most of it can be prepared. And um, I think that Mostly, we ha also have a lot of tolerance for inadequacies in our relationships. Yeah, but I, I guess, I think it's just part of being human, living and existing, isn't it? A failure, you mean? Constant failure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if it has a social function, failure, that it actually is... Uh, useful at a societal level to fail um beyond just thinking about like the scientific method or like disproving something or proving something um but yeah like you say we have like a high tolerance for the inadequacies of other people and the failures of other people but actually does that is it is it an important for relationships to have failure within them or to humans to fail to make relationships function uh i mean i think that if you try to imagine the opposite that really seems absurd mm. that everyone would be perfect all the time yeah like there's no need for anybody else mm. then, right or how do you build a relationship uh yeah, or how do you do you make anything at all or learn anything or um mm. when my um, my sister had a um had a baby two years ago uh so he's he's two years old now and um just uh, hanging out with him has made me think a lot about how children are so natural with trying and failing 
and it really makes you um, I don't know really it's really a reminder of how everything that we are and know and um, everything that we have learned is based on trying and failing so many times <laughs> yeah yeah it has a really uh, integral function in that sense but also then we're we're incredibly risk averse or maybe we're not incredibly risk averse but we talk like i think we talk about failure generally in very negative terms uh and you know when you talk about being a failure it's like incredibly you know that's you uh that's a, that's a sad day <laughs> when you feel like you're a failure but i'm wondering why why when it does have this like incredibly important function uh, just of like it being how we move through the world and how we actually progress and advance ourselves why we have that feeling or why we have such an intense uh, um aversion to it but then i'm also thinking about like we, we've talked a lot about risk today in relation to failure and uh, uh it keeps making me think about the economic crash in which uh essentially people were there was zero risk aversion and you i don't really have another word for to describe it other than that being a catastrophic failure system at a systemic level um so i'm wondering how we juggle these different yeah maybe we we can't talk in absolutes about it but how you uh how we navigate that that uh need for risk a need for risk taking a need for failure and how we can have a much healthier approach to it but also how you uh balance that out with what happens when you have uh extreme failure yeah i mean there's there's uh if i can deviate uh if marlon's not getting too bored of us talking um uh she said she was here she was free till six o'clock so you know i mean that was her it was really her fault really but no there's uh there's a uh, obviously there's the philosophy of nasin taleb has this idea of the, the what would you call it like uh, fragile and anti-fragile the idea that something the more stressors something gets or, or rather there's a condition called anti-fragility and some things are by nature or by design anti-fragile meaning that the more stressors they get the more uh the stronger they become so obviously a famous example would be uh restaurants one restaurant is incredibly fragile because you look at the statistics and like literally every restaurant you know like your, your chance of running a successful restaurant basically is astronomical however the restaurant industry is incredibly strong because there's so many restaurants and it feels maybe a little bit like this with with maybe even artists and artworks that any one individual artist is is very weak and very fragile and at any moment can be i don't know maybe one bad you know if you're if you're an artist uh who, who's collected by charles satchi or something like that he offloads all your artwork he sells at your market price drops and your career's dead and you're knowing you're you can't live and you need to, you know you need to sell everything you own 
Um, but the art market is incredibly resilient and keeps on going up. And art as like a societal construct or like whatever we define it, art as is incredibly uh, 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 strong and resilient. Precisely because all the individual parts are so fragile, if that makes sense. So anyway, Malin, so uh, <laughs> you're, you're doing uh, as we as we bring this to uh, as we bring this maybe t towards a close. Um, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about this project that you have coming up, and uh, maybe looking a little bit ahead, what you, you're you're going to be doing in the in the near future and things like that. So I. Uh, can say a little bit about the performance that is happening on Sunday. Though uh, when this podcast comes out, it's going to be in the past. Yeah. Um, but I've been quite nervous actually working with this because it includes some things I haven't worked with before. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm collaborating with this uh, artistic swimmer, synchronized swimmer, um, to. Uh, yeah, develop a choreography together with other swimmers. And um, yeah, there's so much I don't know about free diving and artistic swimming. So I haven't really been able to plan it myself. I had to do it together with them. So there's this lack of control. And um, yeah, I've been worried that, um, like, also, I didn't, I wasn't able to come here and sort of finalize the choreography until two weeks before the actual performance happening. So that's also been this uh, uh, thing that there's not actually any work to show. <laughs> that I've had this feeling really close to um, the, the exhibition opening. Uh, so, um, yeah... But but it's also something that I really wanted to do um, that felt important to me. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. Um, uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, like I said, I think my plans now are to work a bit slower. And I think that also, I mean, I have been thinking a lot about risk-taking actually lately, and I would really like to like actively think about that in my life in general. And um, I think part of that is actually not producing so much or like saying no to things and try to not feel as a failed artist because I'm not having like an exhibition every other week. And so to sort of dare to um, have, an, have a more introverted art practice for, for a while. And when people say, would you like to do an interview? You say, no. <laughs> say, no, I'm busy, actually. Thank you very much, Malin Lynn Nordstrom. Thank you. Thank you. The music in this podcast was brought to you by Jack's Broken Head. This podcast was funded by the Norwegian Arts Council, Norsk Kulturrad. And we'd like to say thanks to Nicholas Horne and the Art Academy of Tromsø for their help and use of their facilities. I'd just like to give you a list of all my haters. Uh, what else do we need to think? I want to know who your haters are. No, I don't, I don't really have any.